Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is God and science. And my guest is Vernon Nepi, a neuropsychiatrist who is author with physicist Edward Close of Reality Begins with Consciousness, a paradigm shift that works. This book is based on the Nepi Close model of what is known as the triadic distinction vortical paradigm. Many interviews are already on the New Thinking Aloud channel with Dr. Nepi and his partner, Dr. Close. Dr. Nepi is based in Seattle, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Verdon. It's good to be with you again. It's good to be with you as well, Jeff. It's been five years since we did a recording. Yes, you came here to Albuquerque, and we spent many hours together in the studio. And uh, once again, I want to urge our viewers to check our listings to look at uh, the many prior interviews that we've done with both you and your partner in science, Dr. Close. You've done extensive work together with Dr. Close for over 10 years, developing a very unique approach, a different approach to science. In fact, you call it a meta-paradigm. Meta-paradigm, we don't like the term theory of everything. Normally, the term theory of everything refers only to unification of the four forces of physics the weak force, the strong force, the electromagnetic force, and, and gravity. But your work incorporates consciousness, and today we'll even be talking about God. That's true. It does uh, attempt to unify everything. And the difference is that our work is not necessarily based on these different forces. It certainly fits. Uh, we've had some components where you could argue whether or not the vortical spinning in our theory is linked up with gravitation, and but gravitation is one aspect that we cannot fully marshal. But the important point is that this theory or this meta-paradigm or this model is based on solid scientific data and that we are extending this beyond just what people talk about in terms of quantum physics to a whole new area. We've actually called it dimensional biopsychophysics. Another thing that I know your theory takes into account is one of the biggest mysteries today in cosmology, dark energy and dark matter. Yes, it is true. Our theory takes into account the cosmological elements, dark energy and dark matter. And this is also a theory that takes into account the whole of the quantum world plus our macrophysical world, uh, what I like to refer to as 3S1T, our three dimensions of space, length, breadth, and height, 
in a moment in time, the present, and this is our reality that we experience. And many times people have thought that's the only reality, that's the whole reality, how can you go beyond it? And yet there are 50 different areas that are contradictory or unexplained in this kind of paradigm using just 3S1T. So we've had to extend it well beyond. Vernon, let's talk about God for a moment. I know you to be, uh, I guess it'd be fair to say, a religious person, a, a devout person. So out of your religious tradition, you have many ideas uh, about God that have been handed down historically. But as a scientist, I imagine you view God a little differently. That is true. Uh, very contradictory in a way, because in science, that use of the word God is problematic. I sometimes say, well, it's the reverse of dog. And in fact, I find that traumatic to talk about to a scientific audience because you can't talk about such a topic. So let's call higher power divinity or whatever. And you could look at it in terms of is there something that is unifying the laws of nature? And that something would be God in that definition. But there is a big but. And the big but is, is it just a unification of the laws of nature or does the so-called divinity or God go beyond that? And this was a dilemma that I had for some time because within my scientific background, well, it had to be just the laws of nature, those unifications. And yet I realized that we had an infinite continuity. And so the laws of nature extend beyond and beyond and beyond depending on your theoretical model. And if you had that infinite continuity, you could talk about this God, this divinity, this higher power going beyond the laws of nature, but also being part of the laws of nature. Well, I'm glad you brought up the concept of infinity. I know, for example, from our previous conversations that you're very interested in the work of George Cantor, the mathematician who wrote about infinity and, and many different orders of in, infinity. That infinity itself is, is not a simple thing. Uh, and I'm under the impression, however, that modern science doesn't like the concept of infinity very much. No, it doesn't, and it ignores it largely, and it's very, very unfortunate because for us, and when I say us, I'm talking about my long-time research colleague, Dr. Edward Close, and myself, the infinite is part of our reality. It's not separate, and we cannot develop mathematical or physical or other theories without taking into account the infinite. In fact, our reality, our quantized finite reality is embedded within the infinite. In other words, 
I'm not being dualistic, you know, mind and body. All of it is one. And that one component is the infinite at the end of it all. Very important. And with it fits ideas pertaining to Georges Cantor and the whole aspect of what he contributed enormously in relation to the infinite and a lot of others. Well, how do you relate the infinite to your understanding of, of God or, or the deity? Do you consider, for example, God to be a deity? Well, I'm not a theologian, uh, but yes, I think that the concept of God would be a higher power and a higher power that impacts our reality. And initially, when we talked about consciousness, we began to extend this and ultimately get to the stage of something or somebody or some entity impacting our reality. And that is God. Yes. And does it fit? It fits well into the concept of the infinite, of infinity, and the various levels of infinity. Now, I think we would do an injustice to our viewers at this point if we don't introduce the concept of Gimel that you've developed. And in your theory, Gimel is either consciousness itself or is related to consciousness in some way. And I gather one might even say that Gimel is, is a, a way that consciousness and God might connect with each other. That is true. You know, initially, we thought, well, there's such a thing as space and time, and the idea of space and time coming through from Minkowski, and then Einstein eventually agreed with it, and that space and time were unified. And then we said, it's all incomplete. Space and time do exist together. But actually, in our book, Reality Begins with Consciousness, we realized that there was space, time, and consciousness. So they were all intimately linked. And consciousness was not just part of time or part of space. It was, in a way, a separate entity. And eventually, that became Gimel. But, there's a big but. And that big but is... We thought initially it was just consciousness. And it's, so we spoke about space, time, and consciousness all being tethered together, all being connected always, like a boat being moored at the pier. However, we realized it was far more complicated than that. And we introduced the idea of mass and energy, but realized that, wait a minute, there's some problems we have with just mass and energy because they don't, in our finite reality quantized world, fit unless there is something else. And so we said, well, then that consciousness is there as well. But, and this is the big but, it was a higher consciousness. And we started wondering, does this just fit in with space and time 
and being one other component consciousness, or mass and energy and being a third component of reality, which we called Gimel. And I knew it was the right name to call it because it's the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it has a lot of mystical elements. And this was the dilemma, because we realized that actually it was not only a higher consciousness, a certain level of spirituality that we could talk about. And ultimately we thought, well, is this something coming from the divine? And again, I'm afraid to talk about such things in science. But we gradually realized that, hold on, this fits. So we took it beyond consciousness. We eventually postulated that every single component of reality contains this gimel. It contains this gimel, or let us say, is linked with gimel, because it's not containing. Gimel is not inside the mass or energy. It's a linkage, a definite embeddedness. We, everything from the tiniest of molecules, from atomic particles, from our reality component of the world, of life. So we've got the quantized thing, the reality life component, and then we've got the cosmological components, and every single one of these fit in very, very well, such that you can unify reality into those elements, and you can even unify them at a spiritual level as well as a scientific level. Now, I know that your work on Gimel is very precise and mathematical. And in fact, I know the mathematics are very important to your work in distinguishing, for example, which elements are uh, essential for life and which are not. Uh, however, uh, for the benefit of our viewers, we won't go into all of the mathematics. That's excellent. Just bear in mind that I'm not just speculating, as we were initially, but we have been able to precisely prove and demonstrate correlations even with the large Hadron Collider in Switzerland, where we can look at electrons, protons, and neutrons and give them a score. And that's exactly the same score as our work with what we call TDVP, or uh, specifically here, two units, triadic rotational units of equivalence. So it's amazing, and it's also mathematics. And we argue that mathematics is not just something to look at fundamental reality in terms of how do you calculate it. It's not just a calculus. We think that mathematics is an important, in fact, a vital component of all of reality. Everything is mathematical. Which is an idea, incidentally. I think that was developed in ancient times by Pythagoras, who uh, many consider the founder of Greek philosophy. Yes, that's true. And uh, so a lot of this is based on Pythagorean ideas. And there's several scientists, not many, 
but there are several who will even today write about mathematics being part of reality. While we're on the topic, another great mathematician who uh, had similar ideas was uh, Leibniz. Uh, developed his theory of monadology, which was a, a philosophical and uh, an attempt scientifically to integrate, I think, God into science. Yeah, that is true, and that's a wonderful point. And yet, there is a difference between Leibnizian or Leibnizian uh, Newtonian calculus, which is uh, Leibniz and Newton, and the infinitesimal calculus, and we use this in mathematics all the time. There's that big difference with the calculus of dimensional distinctions, which we developed, and where you can talk about the electron and start comparing it with that. But the difference is, and this is the fundamental component of reality, as I see it, Reality consists of integers, of figures that are not subdivided into seven different mathematical decimal points. And when we start looking at pi or we start looking at calculations, even pertaining to the electron and the neutron, we have all these wonderful calculations, very difficult to understand. These are all unitary components. They are all singular components. You can't have half an atom or half an electron or half a world. And this is where our work has extended. So it's an extension not only of triadic dimensional distinction vortical paradigm. It's an extension of saying the mathematics that we are taught in school is not fully correct because it goes to the infinitesimal. Our reality is everything is based on quantal calculations, on Planck kinds of measures, and that makes life much, much easier and much easier to handle in terms of looking at these different models. One might even say that this form of mathematics is holistic. Exactly. It is very much holistic, and it's integral. Let's now look at the uh, question of dark matter and dark energy and how they relate to your uh, mathematics and your work on Gimmel. Wonderful question, very complex, but I will try and simplify that. When we look at the proportions of dark matter and dark energy, these dark substances, so to say. We're talking cosmology, and we're talking roughly, depending on the latest calculations, something like 94.9% of all of reality. And yet, all we look at, or all we understand generally in calculations, is that remaining 5.1% uh, of a reality, maybe a quantized reality. So there is plenty there that doesn't quite fit. And the question comes up, what is dark matter? What is dark energy? How does it fit? And 
we realized that if we had to have a unified model of everything, a meta-paradigm, as we've called it, or, if you want, that theory of everything, but more limiting, if we had to have that, we had to have a way of showing that dark matter and dark energy are part of that unit. It's also unified. And so we said, well, it's hard because the so-called Planck probes, for example, have inexact figures. And so if we could find figures relating to a particular component of reality that correlated maybe even at the 5% level, we would think maybe this fits. Well, I remember doing my exciting analysis. And when we added in Gimel as a component and added in mass energy in terms of the major component of reality, which of course is hydrogen, which is an enormously high proportion of things, and took into account the other smaller components like helium and neon and oxygen, we found the correlation was not 5% or 1%. I sound like a salesman because I'm dropping this down. The correlation was 1 in 1,250. In other words, this substance or this component of Gimel, when looked at from that broader framework, really correlated amazingly. And the question was, is this dark matter, dark energy Gimel? Or, as I think, Gimel is embedded, it is contained in, it is uh, bestowed at every level. Quantum, in terms of life elements we mentioned, and in terms of cosmology. And so Gimel was amazing because there had to be Gimel as part of this. We don't think it's dark matter and dark energy itself, but we think it's linked up there. So that was the beginning of the work. Now, in other words, if I understand what you're saying with regard to Gimel and with regard to dark matter and dark energy, it's not as if it's out there somewhere in the cosmos. It's actually embedded in every single subatomic particle, in every atom, in every molecule. It's everywhere. Exactly, or almost inexactly. We don't know. However, we then looked at the hypothesis that maybe dark matter, which would be a form of uh, mass different, maybe that correlated with the two fundamental components of the atom in terms of neutrons and protons. So we looked at that, and then we looked at dark energy and we said, would that correlate with the electron? And we said, again, with these calculations, we don't know 
because we haven't really got all these figures. But we looked, we compared the dark matter with correlating with the uh, protons and neutrons, with so-called nucleons, and the dark energy correlating with the electron. And we said, what kind of result would we get? And it was astonishing that the results were very, very close in terms of correlations. So it might be that even though we talk about protons, neutrons, and electrons as fundamental components of the atom, it might be that right within those, we can see dark energy in terms of electrons and dark matter in terms of protons and neutrons. Amazing, but very exciting, because now we can, so to say, locate where these are, and they're everywhere, because Gimel is ubiquitous. It exists everywhere. It exists in every atom, in every subatomic particle we think. It exists cosmologically. It exists in terms of life elements. And uh, without Gimel, which is the most fundamental component of reality, incidentally. It's not just, we just discovered it. We think it's primordial. We think it is right at the beginning, or before the beginning of creation, so to say. It is right there. Without it, these calculations cannot occur. If I understand correctly, Gimel has no mass. It has... Uh, no no dimensionality to it, uh, but it gives mass and dimensionality to other particles. Is, is, would that be a fair statement? Yes, we use the term bestow. It bestows mass and energy to stable particles. And for those particles to be stable, they have to be symmetrical usually. So stable symmetrical particles, if that doesn't happen, Gimel is not there likely, and certainly we cannot see these as stable components of reality beyond uh, the completely disproportionate tiny, tiny fractions of reality. So you are correct in terms of that. It bestows, it embeds in everything. Gimel exists in every particle, but doesn't only exist there. It exists in life. It exists in our uh, three-dimensional space, one point in time reality that we experience. It goes well beyond that because it's part of a whole matrix and it exists in or links up with dark matter and dark energy. So it's everywhere. And until we discovered Gimel, and we're not just talking about a speculation, we're talking about good, solid mathematical correlations and ideas there. But until we discovered Gimel, it didn't make mathematical or physical or logical sense to talk about reality. Now, let me ask you, Vernon, how do you see God fitting into this picture? 
This has been a dilemma because, as you said, there's a background there of science and the most we don't, we least we talk about is to talk about God. We can think that life just came from whatever. We can think that existence is different in terms of different kinds of reality. And certainly we don't talk about God. And I started saying, well, let's look at this discovery of Gimel. And the discovery of Gimel was an interesting one. And initially we thought, well, it's the third component of reality. It has to be. And it's not mass. It's not energy. And mass and energy are, of course, the same. In another sense, it has to be that third component we spoke about consciousness. And then I started using that term higher consciousness. And I started then saying, well, we have to use the term spirituality. And eventually, at the end of it all, uh, what do we end up with? We end up with maybe some kind of governing element where the rules of nature, the laws of nature are not just random. They actually are meaningful. And that introduced a whole new area, a free will and also good and evil maybe. And so suddenly it introduces the whole component of theology. If we don't like the term God, call it laws of nature, but really understand that the laws of nature are infinite and extend on its own beyond. And there's one other component. And now if you think that I'm getting rather radical in terms of my thoughts for scientists, here's one that is unproven but very interesting. In the second sentence of Genesis, people have explained the term tohu vavohu, which is the Hebrew. And tohu vavohu, people will describe as, uh, it was chaos, it was uh, primordial, they didn't know what it was. And I said to myself, why are there the two terms there? Why not the one term? I suspect, and I'm hypothesizing this, and I've read a lot about this, but there's not so much to read about it. Nobody comments on Tohu Vavohu. They just say, well, this is, in the end, in the beginning, it was chaos. It's not chaos. It's real reality. Tohu is probably primordial mass energy. Vohu, I suspect, I hypothesize, is Gimel. So right at the beginning of reality, it might have been the two components were Gimel and primordial mass. And eventually we had a whole creation, so to say. But this is getting theological. This is getting beyond the hypotheses that one can test. But it's interesting. It's only that term vohu, nowhere else in all of the biblical literature, whatever religion, do you find that term vohu again.
So it's just intriguing. But you ask me, where does God fit? I suspect that Gimel and God fitted right at the beginning. And God is not Gimel, but the controlling feature of belief systems may well be a God that is linked up with that forehu. Correct me if I'm wrong, Vernon. It's been a long time since I studied biblical Hebrew as an undergraduate in college. Uh, but as I recall, the that sentence, uh, the English translation might be something like the, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Yeah, it's true. The rest of that sentence has Veruach Elohim, Merachefet Alpaneha Mayim, which is exactly what you've translated. It's very interesting that that whole component is very, very special. I recall uh, a, a lecture long ago in which the word tohu was related to the um, Sumerian. Uh, deity Tiamat, and uh, Tiamat was the uh, dragon, and and in, in the Sumerian creation myth, the god Marduk creates the universe by splitting open the belly of this dragon, Tiamat. Very interesting. But again, we're dealing with something uh, incredibly primordial. Very much so. This is the beginning of primordial reality, before the so-called Big Bang, whatever you want to call it, the event horizon. This is long before, This is, but it's not a case of long before, because we're dealing with infinite reality. We're not dealing with finite calculations in terms of time. And this is a whole new story, because this model of TDVP understands time not as one single linear dimension, or for that matter, space is regarded as three, but consciousness not as one dimension, but all of them are probably three dimensions at any point, which makes up nine. We cannot prove. We can prove that there are nine dimensions based on our work. We cannot prove that there are three dimensions of time and three of consciousness, for example, but we postulate that that is so. But it all fits in so nicely theologically in terms of the primordial aspects and also the aspects of reality. Well, when we're talking about the very term prior, primordial, it sort of suggests a time before time began. And because the Big Bang theory is finite with regard to time, the, the notion is there was no time before the Big Bang. Time started with the Big Bang. But in an infinite universe, that wouldn't be true. That is true. And this is why part of our model necessarily connects up the infinite with the finite. And it's not an infinite separation, and it's not a duality of mind and body or mind and ideas. It is all unified into one. And in an infinite reality, you can do all sorts of special calculations, but it's much, much more difficult because the mathematics is not the ordinary mathematics, but 
you can apply this to the mathematics of the calculus of dimensional distinctions that we developed. That's one of the reasons why I think many people have such difficulty in comprehending your work is because uh, the the very comprehension of it requires uh, understanding n totally new forms of mathematics. Yeah, and totally new forms of thinking in a way. You know, people will talk about mind-body and say, well, there must be a separation of mind and body if you live after death because you wouldn't have the my other body. And in fact, I think it's all unified into one. We developed a philosophical model called unified monism, and this is where it fits in. But people have difficulty because training now is very directed in one particular uh, specialty and there are not too many who are broad in terms of looking at philosophy, theology, uh, physics, uh, mathematics, uh, and you can extend it to evolution even, and to the whole area of what we're calling dimensional biopsychophysics. Well, I know that one of your areas of interest is survival after death. You've uh, done quite a bit of research on the famous Meroxi Korchnoi chess match, the, uh, what I like to call the chess match from beyond the grave. So let me ask you this, since uh, apparently Geza Meroxi played a game of chess some 30 years or 40 years after his death, how did he do that? How, in what sort of a body did he have? He might have existed in components of reality that are different from what we perceive as a reality. And possibly those components of reality relate to some kind of vortical vibrational phenomena that are higher and higher. And this has often been the kind of spiritual idea of. Uh, different levels, and that chess game that was played would have fitted the translation of skills and data. So it's very, very strong. It's the chances of this occurring are billions to one. But that chess game had to then be retranslated into communication through, so to say, a medium or some kind of channel so that we, in reality, can experience that as a logical thing. Very difficult to understand, but very, very well fitted in. And some would argue it's one of the finest cases of survival after death. And you, of course, are an expert on that. And I suspect agree. I'm trying to get at the question of, did Meroxi have a body? And, and you've referred to your theory of vortical dimensions. And as I recall, one of the things you say about that theory is it's not particle physics, it's vortical physics. And maybe you could explain that distinction. Yes, that's a very, very important distinction. You know, in our logical thinking, we think of uh, atoms, protons, electrons, neutrons, and there are all sorts of other subatomic particles. But 
in that logical thinking, we sometimes think of it as static. When I perceive it as dynamic, as rotational components of reality, and that when we're talking about atoms, electrons, protons, they are rotating, but they're moving to higher dimensional frameworks. And this is why we sometimes use the term 9D+, plus, nine dimensions of reality incorporate a finite reality, quantized reality incorporated within the infinite. And if you had to look at it that way, if we use our little bit of imagination, and this is probably not the right model, but you would think of it as in some kind of way vibrational, and a vibration which might be rotating, and at a higher and higher level, eventually you don't have mass, you just have energy. And different forms of energy, we can't use it as one single component of energy. You, a lesser component in terms of reality. Sometimes in parapsychological work, as you know, we use the term non-locality. I don't like the term personally, because space and time reflect a different kind of universal experience to the infinite. I far prefer recognizing that there are higher and higher dimensions, and that as you go to these higher dimensions, you're going to a kind of gimel consciousness, and eventually you're not even at mass and energy. The trick is being able to communicate from that gimel consciousness into the mass energy component of our physical four-dimensional or 3S1T reality. And that's just one tiny component. In other words, the uh, spinning occurs in nine dimensions. And uh, when one leaves the body, maybe you know, we, we drop out these four dimensions, but the spinning uh, can continue in five others. Yeah, I don't think we drop out them. Mm. But they do not physically exist as we understand it. We're in a different realm. It's just like we don't understand these higher, if you want, five dimensions there in our physical reality. But we've got to add in at every point the infinite as opposed to the finite. Okay, so what I'm saying is we have to take into account that we're not only talking about a nine-dimensional, finite, quantized reality, that we're talking about a nine-dimensional, finite, quantized reality that is embedded within the infinite continuity. Vernon Neppy, this has been a very intriguing conversation. I know uh, in many ways it's sort of right on the edge of, of what I can grasp, and I'm sure right on the edge of what many of our viewers will be able to grasp. But uh, I have to commend you for even posing questions like this, even daring to look at the possible integration of consciousness and God with science and mathematics. So, uh, it, once again, it's been a joy to be with you, and I look forward to future conversations. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. This has been always 
a fascinating way and I particularly enjoy being interviewed by you because you contribute so much and are so knowledgeable in every kind of area. It amazes me. Well, your work amazes me, so I guess you might say we are mutually amazed. Yeah, the Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you once again for being with me, Vernon. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us. You are the reason that we are here. I imagine that by now, many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death?